The California Technology Council's new CTC Benefits Trust combines groups of emerging technology companies to offer large company benefits to small businesses. This approach delivers employee benefit programs with better choices and at a lower cost. What's included? Medical, dental, and vision options are available with additional employer and employee online resources to support simplified enrollment and administration. To learn more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash join. That's californiatechnology.org forward slash join. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The biopharmaceutical industry has been embracing artificial intelligence as a way to address complex issues of drug design and development, but Octana is betting that such big data analysis can improve decision-making around sales and marketing, too. Octana's AI technology integrates a company's customer relationship management system to synthesize data from a wide variety of sources and guide marketing teams and sales reps about such things as which physicians to contact, when to do so, and how to best approach them. We spoke to David Ehrlich, president and CEO of Octana, about the company's decision support products, how they work, and the case for using AI to improve sales and marketing decision-making. David, thanks for joining us. Uh, My pleasure, Danny. Uh, Happy to be here. We're going to talk about Octana, its AI platform, and how life science companies are using this to enhance sales and marketing. We, We talked to a number of companies on this podcast involving efforts to bring AI to various parts of the drug discovery and development process. We've looked at companies that are trying to deploy this to improve clinical decision-making. Octana's the first company we've looked at using this technology to address sales and marketing issues. How did Octana come about and why this focus? What's the opportunity? Well, well Danny, when we started the company, which was back in 2011, we, we did so after talking to a number of CIOs of, of larger companies in the marketplace. And, and we heard a consistent theme coming from the CIOs. Uh, we were looking at doing analytics to help in various parts of different businesses, including in life science. And what, what we heard back from the CIOs was, you know, we have invested at that point a, a ton of money on infrastructure to manage data, to house data, uh, a, a lot of money on BI tools to analyze that data. And when they look back at their businesses, they did not see the commensurate increase in productivity or, or effectiveness that they had been expecting from all of that investment. And they told us one thing that we kept hearing over and over, and that was, we've invested all this money, there's all this infrastructure, we've got a bunch of analysts analyzing the data, coming up with insights, and yet 
on the front lines in day-to-day decision-making, none of that insight kind of makes its way uh, uh, into that final decision. So what they were looking for was a way to bridge uh, what was happening in headquarters with all the data and all the BI tools and all the insights they were generating to kind of the day-to-day decisions that were being made throughout the organization. And when we looked at life science companies in particular, we saw that about half of their spend was in sales and marketing. And we're talking about a lot of money here. You know, this is hundreds of billions of dollars in healthcare spend around the world. Um, and as in most industries, these companies had a very hard time uh, assessing the effectiveness of each element in that spend. Uh, they knew if they backed off from sales efforts that sales would fall, but, but they couldn't really tell which visits would move the dial. And, and they couldn't especially bridge that gap between headquarters and those sales reps in the field to help them make better day-to-day decisions about where they were spending their time. And that sales force was the single largest bucket of spend for these companies. Um, so a, a big part of the opportunity here is helping these companies identify and, and helping the sales reps that are making those day-to-day decisions about who they talk to, how much time they spend waiting to talk to someone or in a doctor's office, what they're talking about, what they're prepared to talk about, all of those day-to-day decisions, we, we wanted to bridge the gap between all of that data and insight that existed within the enterprise to those frontline workers as they made those decisions. And, and, and in doing so, kind of reduce a big amount of that spend that contributes to the size of, of healthcare costs around the globe. Um, the, the second part of the opportunity, uh, besides uh, cost control or cost reduction in the healthcare industry, um, is the effectiveness. And what we kept hearing from doctors as we talked to doctors, the healthcare professionals, was, you know what, the sales reps that are coming and spending time with us aren't really value added. They want to talk about sports. They've got the same uh, information about their medications that I can find online. And I, as a doctor, just don't have the time anymore to sit around and, and talk about the weather and sports with medical sales reps. If they're going to show up and ask for my time, I want some real value add. And, and so for us, this is not just a, a um, cost, healthcare cost reduction. It was the opportunity to really help sales reps and their life science manufacturing companies figure out how to add value to each doctor. What does a doctor care about? What's going on in their practice? When that medical rep shows up, what do they have that is relevant to that doctor's practice and can help them practice better medicine? And, and if we can do that effectively, not only are we reducing wasted time and wasted money in sales and marketing, but we're increasing that sense of partnership between life science manufacturers and the healthcare providing community. Where is the breakdown? It seems like there's this massive investi- investment in data, but is it that people aren't using it in a granular enough way? Are they just making too many gut decisions, even though they have data telling them one thing? Why, why don't they get the payoff from their investment today? So it, it's, it's, a lot of it is the first um, uh, thing that you just mentioned around the, the granularity of the data. Um, so they do make very 
life science industry has a ton of data. They've got sales data, they've got formulary and insurance coverage data, um, they've got access to diagnostic data, obviously anonymized um, by patients, but they've got a, a, a ton of data and they, they use that to make macro decisions pretty effectively in terms of things like size of Salesforce, which markets they go into, uh, which insurance companies they spend time trying to negotiate with, uh, what the price of a particular uh, drug needs to be uh, uh, for their business to be effective, et cetera. But getting that data uh, down to the specific doctor decision or doctor medical rep care and providing that medical rep the intelligence uh, you know, in real time about Maybe that doctor went to the website last night and looked up information on a particular side effect so that when the, the sales rep shows up the next day, they're armed to, to have a discussion with the doctor about a patient that's suffering from a side effect. Um, uh, so, so the data just does not make it to the sales force or any other kind of distributed individual decision maker in a granular enough way and in a timely enough way for them to act on it. At least it didn't before uh, we started uh, our business. Who's the end user of the product and how does it either enable them to do something better or change the way they, they act today? You know, you know, one way to think about what we do, and there's a bunch of different ways to think about it, but one is that we are really closing the loop between the marketing team, the brand team that owns the brand and has access to all that data, and the, the sales reps out in the field. Um, we, we obviously touch more than just the sales rep as a channel. We're involved in marketing automation, uh, brand portals, all the uh, call centers, all the various channels. But one way to think about it is we're, we're kind of taking those channel executions and the marketing team and connecting them. So the users are really... The, the channel um, actors, uh, predominantly the sales force, sometimes call centers, et cetera, and then the marketeer. And for, for the sales reps or the individual channel actors, we're giving them data on their customers in real time and, and helping them make better decisions about who to talk to, what message to deliver, which channel to use. Uh, and we're doing that in a way that hopefully makes them value added to those customers back to the, the prior point. Um, the other user is the marketing team. We're giving them information about what strategies, what messages are working across which types of customers under which conditions and helping them to, as, as users of our application, of our solution, helping them to configure the solution to an increasingly effective uh, uh, set of uh, parameters. Um, and so the marketing team is getting good strategy information and constantly evolving their strategy. And the channel actors are getting good, very granular information about their customers and the actions they're about to take. I can see this being very seductive in that you can call on a, a much larger body of data than uh, an individual salesperson or a marketing strategist might be able to to do and do this in real time, but 
how good the decisions that result from that, I imagine, are going to depend a lot on the quality of the data. What's the range of data you're drawing upon? Um, you know, it, it's a good point. And um, I'll answer your question and then and refer back to a, a couple additional comments on this. So, you know, we're, we're pulling sales data, you know, prescription data, anonymized, obviously, like all patient data. But, but it does kind of tell which doctors, and, and at least this is in the U.S., it, it will tell you which doctors are prescribing which, which medication. And so you can identify whether a doctor writes generics, whether they write branded medications, whether they write both in different situations, whether the branded uh, medication they prefer is our customers or, or some other branded medication. We collect uh, coverage data, formulary data from the insurance companies, we get diagnostic data so that, uh, and this is done through a partnership uh, with companies like um, uh, uh, Prognos, um, who collects diagnostic data. And, and, and we can use that diagnostic data to identify, for instance, if a patient who's got a particular disease and there's a first-line therapy that's failing, we can see that in the reports. Again, we don't know who the, the, the patient is, but we know who the doctor that's caring for that patient is and wrote the script for that diagnostic test. We know the test failed, and we know that this doctor is now going to be prescribing a second-line treatment for that patient, and we can let a customer that manufactures that second-line treatment inform the sales rep for that doctor that the doctor is getting ready to write a script for a second-line treatment. Now's the time to go talk to them. We get data on all the actions that occur through the different channels of our customers. We can collect preference data, social data. Um, there, there's actually a tremendous amount of data out in the marketplace. Um, one of the interesting things, and, and the data is out there, and it has been out there for a while, um, and, and your really, really good sales reps know where some of that data is and how to access it. And they spend a lot of time going to different systems and pulling the data, synthesizing it, putting it into spreadsheets, analyzing it, and, and coming to conclusions about what they should do on the next visit to that doctor in response. Uh, we, we did a training with one of our customers where they gave them a, a, an insight that our engine produced overnight and they asked them to go and develop that insight on their own through the data sources that they knew. An hour later, some of the reps were starting to get to the insight and they had gone to something like 20 different systems to pull the data. So for your best sales reps, we're saving them a ton of time. And for your average sales rep who isn't used to analyzing data and may not have those skills or know where the data exists, we are now turning them into a data-driven sales rep like the best sales reps uh, had been before. Does the system learn as it goes? Uh, yeah, it does. So we've got a number of different uh, algorithms in the engine. Um, we employ rules-based algorithms, heuristics, some optimization techniques, and machine learning techniques such as reinforcement learning. Specific algorithms that we employ um, are not always changing, um, but the data does change. And then we deliberately, through decision, go and are constantly reviewing the effectiveness of these algorithms. So the algorithms will change as we change them. 
and we're constantly reviewing and toying and, and, and trying to improve the effectiveness of those algorithms. Um, I should also mention that, you know, when, when you uh, deploy our solution, you aren't limited to our algorithms. A lot of our customers have big data science teams. They're out producing algorithms of their own. They're analyzing things in the background. They're analyzing data and they're coming up with their own approaches uh, to assessing the importance of a customer, the importance of a specific action. And we can uh, plug those, their models right into the engine. Um, we have this thing called AI Fusion in our uh, solution set that allows us to import models uh, from our customers or uh, other consulting firms that our customers have employed. So, so we don't pretend to have the monopoly on models that give decent answers here. I think what we're really good at is synthesizing different models, different techniques, uh, lots of data, along with our customers' go-to-market strategies into kind of the effectiveness of a suggestion or an insight on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. How have you validated the algorithms and, and how do you know they're doing what, what they're supposed to? Yeah, really, really good question. Um, because this stuff can get so uh, complex that customers can look at it and, and say, geez, I have no idea if this is a good approach or, or a bad approach or which approach is better. And it, it does confuse the kind of buying process when, when you're looking at AI tools and, and it's, it's pretty hard to, to, to assess what, which is better than another. Um, so feedback from users becomes really critical. Um, and we analyze the feedback. Every uh, channel actor that uses our product, our solution set, um, when they get a suggestion, the suggestion's also asking them whether they think it's a good suggestion that they should take or whether it's off. And if it's off, they get multiple choice, one click kind of opportunities to give feedback. Um, we also look at the results. We look at which um, uh, outputs are accepted at what frequency, and if we see changes in the results, we we'll look into why is that change happening. And then we, we we actually in the last year built what we describe internally as a customer impact function, um, where we're kind of you know we, we've hired some people out of industry to put together a, a best of class approach to how you structure the engagements that we launch so that you can measure the impact and measure it with confidence and measure it in such a way that our customers' analytics teams who look at it will go, yeah, that's a, that's a sound methodology. We love the results or we're going to start using that methodology to measure results ourselves so that the fox isn't guarding the hen house. But that kind of impact assessment is really critical um, because when you don't have it, um, you can end up spending a lot of money on something that you're not sure is, is producing any real impact. You have it and you can measure. What we have found is those customers that employ it end up adopting our solution uh, much more rapidly across the globe. I imagine sales reps may be using this technology and that these may be people who are not necessarily well-versed in technology. How skilled or how much training does someone need to use the platform? So again, we've got really two kinds of users. 
or actually I would say three kinds of users. So the sales rep um, or, or whatever channel actor, call center, sales rep, um, for them, the suggestions and insights get published within whatever day-to-day -day system they're already using. So if it's a CRM, uh, then the suggestions and insights are popping up within the CRM and the, the rep really needs almost no training. You know, they're using the CRM. Suddenly there's something that pops up and says, hey, uh, here's a suggestion. Go visit Dr. Smith uh, this afternoon at three o'clock. And here's the reasons why Dr. Smith, you know, went uh, last night uh, to the website and pulled down that paper on side effects or Dr. Smith last week started prescribing our medication where Dr. Smith never had before. Um, and we can give the sales rep that information, suggest it, and it just pops up right in front of them in the system that they tend to use every day. And a call center would be the call center application. Um, so for the channel actor, it's really very extremely light training. Uh, and it was designed that way. It was designed to be in workflow, natural, not a lot of effort and giving them the information that they need to make a better decision. Um, one nuance here is that we do think of this as decision support. We're not pretending that our engine with all the analytics and AI modules can make better decisions than a human being, than the rep who may know that customer. There's gonna be data that we don't have. So this is really about the marriage between what a engine can do well, which is process a ton of data and synthesize it, and what a human can do well, which is use judgment to make that final decision. So we are arming them to make that decision in a very natural way in their workflow. One of the reasons why sales reps tend to love uh, our solution, the first solution in the CRM uh, that was really designed uh, for them rather than for management. The other user, um, or one of the other two users is the marketing team. And for them, it, it does take a, a little more skill because we're giving them reports and ideas about how to improve their strategies with a lot of data behind it. Um, and you've got to be a better uh, consumer of data and data reports. And then finally, whether it's sales ops or our team, there's a whole effort around configuring and reconfiguring and optimizing the platform, that's where most of the skills involved. Um, and typically our customers are using our service teams to do that part of the job. And how does it integrate with the day-to-day -day activities of a sales rep? Well, as I had just mentioned, you know, it's popping up in their CRM. So they're out doing the visits they would do and we're kind of adding into the white space. So if they've got a free half hour at one point, we're suggesting what they do with it. They've had a canceled appointment, we're suggesting what they do at that time. Um, and uh, the other thing we do is when they're about to go into a meeting, we're giving them insights on that doctor and that doctor's practice so that again, they can be more value added. And, and finally, I guess the last part of their workflow is when they're doing uh, planning for a week or a month in terms of what their routes ought to look like and who they're going to visit, how they're going to spend their time, we're giving them suggestions about how to populate their calendar. So it's, you know, macro planning for a week or a month. It's day-to-day -day, uh, changes and, and responses to changing conditions. 
and it's planning around a visit and what they're going to talk about. Is there some sort of case study you can offer on how this has changed the way uh, a company operates or their return on investment? Yeah, we, we you know, as, as I had mentioned around the impact function, we put that in place a little over a year ago. We had done case studies with customers from time to time uh, since the company's inception. Those case studies are one of our most effective selling tools because they really talk to um, what most of our customers think of as incredible ROI, you know, payback for a year's worth of license within a single week. Um, it, it's, you know, the, the impact can be exceptional. And what we saw was those customers who were measuring impact were expanding faster. Um, and that's, you know, and, and the case studies were great, but we decided to put that impact assessment function in place so that we could provide that kind of measurement capability or at least guidance around it to every customer. But we, well, we have a whole slew of case studies and we'd be happy to provide them to anybody who wants to take a look. Well, how open are companies to using this type of technology in an area like sales and marketing? And what do they want to see before they're willing to deploy it? Uh, great question. Uh, it, it, this has really changed over the last nine years since we started the company. Um, in the early days, companies weren't that open. They saw the technology as, you know, maybe a little too advanced or speculative. Um, they would do small pilots with us to gain some confidence. We'd have to start with a single brand in a single free, uh, show impact, show results, and they'd expand a little bit. Um, but I think over the last, you know, nine years or so, really based on the work that we've done, this has become a category that almost every company in our, in, 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 in biopharma, at least, at least all the big ones, they understand that this is out there. They understand that customers are using it for impact and it's becoming almost a, a mandatory, uh, budget item. So it's moved from, an evangelical sale where we had to go in and convince customers that this was real and it could work to one in which customers are, are putting together RFPs and trying to assess who the best vendor to support them is. Um, but I think it, it's gotten to the point where everybody sees this as a must-have. David Ehrlich, President and CEO of Octana. David, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.